We're going to talk today about a little bit about compromise. But before I do, I rush through our welcome time. I want to make sure that our guests feel very, very welcome today. We're glad that you're here. And in your worship guide, there's a little section there. You can fill it out. And you can bring that to me at the, uh, at the end of the service. My wife and I would love to meet you and give you a gift. If you would do that between now and the end of the service, that would be, that would be fantastic. Also, I just, you know, don't always do this on Sunday mornings, but I just feel uh, really led of the Lord to say a prayer. Uh, there are just so many things going on uh, in our country and in our world, as you know. There are just so many, so many people hurting, and as I voice this prayer I just pray that, uh, that you'll join me as we pray for just many things that are going on in our world. So why don't you just bow your heads and close your eyes and join me as I pray. Father, thank you so much for this great day, a privilege to be able to come together with freedom and with joy and to be able to preach your word, to be able to sing your praise. And God, we do know that there are so many uh, people in this world that are hurting. People are still holding out hope for Flight 370 that perhaps their loved ones could be found. And yet, Lord, it's such a, such a terrible thing, such a chaotic thing. So we pray, God, for peace. We also pray, Lord, for people in South Korea who many have lost their loved ones, those children, those teenagers, and they were drowned in that terrible drowning. So we pray for them today, God. Lord, my heart goes out as I've been watching for weeks now with what is going on in Russia and the Ukraine and the bordering states there in Eastern Europe. We pray, God, that your will would be done and you would intervene and you would protect, Lord, and give peace and prosperity and blessings to those nations, especially, Lord, for that great nation of Ukraine. So, Lord, I lift these up to you, knowing that you are the sovereign God who knows everything. You're omniscient. You're amazing. And we praise you. And, God, may we never... Take for granted what you have given to us in this great country. And we thank you, Lord, for men like Ken Paxton who will take up that mantle and try to represent, Lord, and honor you and represent us well. So I pray for him, and I pray, God, for this great state of Texas that we would be a light, we would be a beacon to the rest of this nation, a beacon of righteousness and joy in Jesus Christ. And it's his name that I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for letting me do that. I've been wanting to... Pray uh, for those needs uh, with you for, for many weeks. So today we're going to look at Revelation chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, I want you to go ahead and open them up to Revelation 2. We'll begin reading in verse 12. And a uh, week before Easter, we got right into the heart of this text, dealing with the church at Pergamos or the church at Pergamum, which is modern-day Bergama in Turkey. And so we're going to look at verses 12 through 17, and we're going to pick right up where we left off last time. However, with just a little bit of difference, I'm going to give you a brief summary, a recap of what we looked at last week and pull us right into uh, where, where we're going to be uh, today. So it's Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 12, and we're going to look at the third of seven churches in Asia Minor. This is the church at Pergamos, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 12. And Jesus says unto the angel of the church at Pergamos, write, These things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. And verse 13 says, I know your works. I know where you dwell. I, I know that you dwell where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast to my name. And you did not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas, my faithful martyr, who was killed among you, where... Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you, Jesus says, because you, you hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols, 
and to commit sexual immorality. And in verse 15 he says, and you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I also hate. And Jesus, his response to them and his word of command is metanoia is the Greek word, and it means to turn away or change your behavior, change your attitude, change your mind, repent. Jesus said, church at Pergamos, repent, or else I will come to you quickly, and I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, and that word is acousite, it's where we get the English word acoustics. Whoever has ears, and that would pretty much include everybody, but open your ears and open your spiritual ears especially. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And Jesus says to him who Nike, who Nikon, who overcomes, I will give the following things. And I just could not wait to talk to you today about this trilogy, this triumvirate of blessings that Jesus Christ gives to those who are Nike kind of people, who are overcoming kind of people, who do not capitulate to temptation, they do not acquiesce to the craft and the art of compromise, but they persevere and they are faithful to Jesus, just like this Antipas guy, faithful even to the point of martyrdom, even to the point of death. And Jesus said, if you do that, I will give you the following blessings. Look at these. First of all, he says, I will give to some of you the hidden manna to eat. Secondly, I will give you a white stone. And then thirdly, this stone has a new name written on it, which nobody knows except him who receives it. What we're going to do today is we're going to look at this uh, city and this church within its context. And as we do, I think it will begin to make sense to you. And you'll begin to understand this threefold blessing that Jesus offers to us as you understand it in its sitzim laban, in its situation in life, in its original uh, context. Uh, th there's a lot of information we're going to look at today. We're going to look at history, uh, theology, the geopolitical, geographical dimension of Pergamos, modern-day Bergama, and that's important, and I want to do that, and, I, and, and, and there's an element of me that I want to be scholastic, and I want to be erudite, I want to be academic, and I want us, when we come together in church, I don't want it just to be an emotional experience. I want it to be a very cognitive, theological experience. Listen to this. When we worship God with our minds, when we worship Him with our, with our brains, if you will, and with our volition, our will. And so I want you to, I want you to walk with me because there's going to be, a, like I said a moment ago, a lot of history and theology. But in the end, if we will do that, then we will be in a great position and a posture that we can apply those wonderful principles uh, that Jesus talks about in this text. By the way, when I, when I study these churches and, and I look at the words of Jesus— and they're very powerful, and at times they're very affirming and encouraging, and yet at other times uh, they're very convicting, and they're very uh, pointed and to the point where Jesus says, I know what you're doing, and I want you to correct this, and yet I want you to continue to do this. I want you to stop doing this, and I want you to continue to affirm and do this. And I always ask myself when I study these sermons or these, uh, these sermons of Jesus in Revelation 2 and 3, what, what would the Spirit of God say to us? 
What if Jesus were to write a letter to Great Hills Baptist Church and say, to the angel of the church, to the angelos, the messenger, that would be me. That's probably the only time I'll ever be called an angel. Amen. To the angelos, the messenger of the church at Great Hills in the great city of Austin, Texas. And Jesus says, I want you to tell them, I want you to write these things. And I ask myself, well, what would that be? What would be the content of that letter? And I believe there would be things that Jesus would absolutely unequivocally affirm in our church. And by the way, last week, if you were here, it was just one of those high-water, apex, pinnacle moments in the life of our church. I mean, we had around 1,500 people here on campus. We had another three or 400, as I mentioned to you, in the cyber world worshiping with us. Hallelujah. We, we baptized uh, 12 people on an Easter Sunday, and that's just a part of it. Let, let me tell you some things God's been doing this week in our church that, that you may not have heard of. Do you want to hear this? Say, sure we do, Brother Danny. We're, we just look sleepy. We're really not sleepy. We're, we're happy to be here. Just tell us. Tell us what you want to tell us. Okay, great. Let me, let me tell you. We, we were down in the hospital for about five hours one day this week. One of our church members, Brother John, God bless you. You may be watching us online. He had a very difficult, delicate surgery. In fact, the surgeon said, we do not want to do this surgery. Uh, the last time, we almost lost you, and so we don't want to do it. And John says, listen, I've got a 14-pound tumor in my abdomen, and unless you take it out, it's going to suffocate me, and I'm going to die. And so the surgeon says, we'll go in. And I just want you to know. There was a church down there in the waiting room, and, and it was just amazing. It was our church, and many of you were there, and man, you were praying, and I was sitting there, and I just began to watch our people, and here's what they did. Literally, some of our people did the following. They got out of their waiting room seats, and they started walking through the waiting room, introducing themselves to other people and saying, why are you here? How can I pray for you? And then another a couple of them went over to this other lady, bless her heart, she was just standing there, and they just said, where do you go to church? Well, I don't go to church. Well, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? And they just started evangelizing and witnessing, and the guy that told me this, he said, well, pastor, you said in your sermon, if we'll tell people about Jesus, we'll be blessed. I said, well, you're, you're in a great place of blessing. And just last night, went down to the hospital, one of our dear church members is, is in a battle right now, and so we went down, and we had a congregation of people just kind of fill up this ICU. Listen, you're only supposed to have two or three in the ICU. We had about 20 in this, in this one room, and the nurse was freaking out. He's going, whoa, whoa, whoa. some of y'all got to get out of here. And one of them started witnessing and talking to the head nurse. And I just want y'all to know something. I got just a little excited. You know, I was sitting there, and I was watching you, our people, live out this radiant church philosophy. Some of you have bought into it. Some of you really believe that we can worship God passionately, we can study His Word devotionally, and then we can lift up our eyes and we can evangelize, we can tell the whole world that Jesus says. I, I want you to know something. Someone far more superior and important than me takes notice of that, and that is the King, Jesus Himself. So I commend you, and I'm honored to serve you as your pastor, and I'm honored to preach this message to you. So let's go fast. Y'all ready to go fast? Oh, I'm excited about this message. I just got to calm down. Hold on, let me, let me take a drink of water. Let me find some water. I meet every Sunday. Maybe I don't know this. I'm just being very transparent with you today about our church. I meet with some of the most godly men every Sunday, and they pray over me, and they pray for this sermon, this service. 
And I told him today, I said, guys, I'm so excited about this message. I'm prepared. I'm ready. But my concern is, unless God, the Holy Spirit, gets a hold of this sermon and gets a hold of me and gets a hold of you, then it's all in vain. All is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One of God comes down. And so I want you to, I just want you to pause with me for a moment. Just open up your heart. Open up your mind and just, just say this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I want everything that you want me to have. I want to hear your affirmation. I want to hear your rebuke. And Lord, I want you to help me be the man, the child, the woman of God that you have called me to be. And that's, that's my prayer today, that God would speak to you. So let's look at the words of identification. First of all, last week we identified the, the city of Pergamum. And we also identified the Christ as he gives this self-revelation. We talked about the city of Pergamum, and it's a fascinating city. If you remember, it's Bergama in Turkey. And it was the capital city of Asia Minor in A.D. 95, A.D. 100, when the Apostle John received this revelation from Jesus Christ. It was a very influential, a very political, a very economic, a very medicinal. It was a very powerful city. In fact, Galen, who is the co-founder basically of modern medicine with Hippocrates, Galen, the prominent physician, was born in Pergamos. And he practiced his craft, he practiced his trade there in Pergamos, Galen, the prominent physician. Also, it was a very religious place. In fact, they had three temples alone in honor of the current Roman Caesar, the Roman emperor. And the people every day would pay homage and they would bow down to that wooden stone, that idol of the emperors. And also they had what was called the the Itar of Zeus. It was a 40-foot monument that jettisoned the sky and it, 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 it it just reeked of of idolatry, and and the people went and they would worship at the Itar of Zeus. But I think when Jesus said, you live really where Satan dwells, I think this is what was in the Lord's mind. I believe he was thinking about the false god Asclepius, Asclepius. And they had there a temple at Pergamum, and they had thousands upon thousands of snakes all around this temple, and the people would go and bypass those snakes, mercy, and they would go and they would worship the god Asclepius, the god of healing. And if, they, and if that didn't float their boat, they'd run over here and worship the god of the emperor. And if that didn't do it, they'd come over here and they'd worship Zeus. No wonder Jesus said, man, you live where Satan dwells. And so it's important to keep in mind the identification of the city. What about the church? Well, the church was birthed probably by the Apostle Paul. Around A.D. 53 to 57 is his third missionary journey. Many people believe, myself included, that Paul from Ephesus went out and evangelized the city, led many people to Christ, and so the church was born. But furthermore, let's identify Jesus. Jesus said, hey guys, I am the one who has the double-edged sword in my mouth. Now, whenever you see that word sword, it usually has the connotation of protection or punishment, all right? And so I think it's twofold. I think Jesus is going to protect and bless his own, and then if his own don't deal with the problem at hand, he will come and he will personally chastise and punish. So make sure you understand that. 
that Jesus says, I am the one with the double-edged sword. So that is a word of identification of the city, the culture, the church, and the Christ. Okay, you with me? All right, here we go. Number two is commendation. Now, commendation means, what can I affirm? And Jesus said, I affirm you because of your works, your ergon. We get the word ergonomics. Ergon, the general idea of good deeds and and working for me. And Jesus said, I take notice of that, and I, I commend you for it. Secondly, he says, I commend you because of your dwelling. You literally dwell where Satan dwells, and most of you are willing to die for me, just like Antipas. And, 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 and I commend you for that. And then thirdly, Jesus said, I commend you for your Christ-centeredness. You hold fast to my name, and you do not deny my faith. Now, now the word there, hold, if you take a moment and look at our text, the word hold, H-O-L-D, is used three times in this pericope, in this one narrative, in this one section of Scripture. Now, the word hold there is the word kratos, okay? Kratos means to exert energy and strength, and Jesus said, many of you are holding fast to me. You're not denying me. You're not compromising me, and I appreciate that. Now, later on, he's going to use the same word to describe those who hold fast the doctrine of Balaam and the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. So, that is the word of commendation. Now, now thirdly, we're going to look at a word of exhortation. And this is where we got into it just just a little bit uh, last time at the word of exhortation. Now, the word exhortation, you could really say, admonishment or rebuke or this is the word of the Lord that he's got for them that's going to be kind of hard for them to hear, but they got to hear it. I like what David Jeremiah says at this point, and he's got a great comment. He says, just as Satan knows our weaknesses and he tries to trip us up accordingly, he also knows the weaknesses of every church. His strategies are not random. Rather, they are very specific and calculated. Removing love for Christ was his tactic in Ephesus. Persecution by the Roman Empire was his strategy in Smyrna. But in Pergamos, quote, he is going to try to weaken the church through compromise, end of quote. So the title of our message today is the church at Pergamos, and the church has this nomenclature, they have this title, it was the compromising church. Now, when I, whenever I use the word compromise, I want you to think of two things. First of all, there's a good compromise, and number two, there's a bad compromise. Listen, if, you are, if you're in a, in a marriage, if you're in a job, if you're in politics, or you're at work, listen, th- there's, a, there's a time and place for compromise. And people that don't want to compromise and give a little and take a little, they're going to have a hard time, uh, our current president notwithstanding. All right, you've got to be able to reach across the aisle, and you've got to compromise. You've got to give and take. That is a positive compromise. And let me give you a pejorative compromise. A negative compromise would be this. I know what's right, and I know full well what I'm supposed to do, but I'm not going to do it. I'm only going to do it partially, and I'm going to do, I'm going to do well in, in some things, but I know full well this is wrong, and I choose to do it anyhow. That's the kind of compromise Jesus was addressing to the church there at Pergamos. And by the way, it is old, but it is new. Many people in our churches today have a Ph.D., in rationalization 
and compromise. I know full well what God's Word says, but man, times have changed, and if I want to go out and not just have a few, but have a many of drinks and just get inebriated and just float my boat on over to the other side, it's okay. It's just okay because God understands. Listen, that's compromise unto sin. Well, I know my wife and I, we've been married 20, 30 years, but who says I can't flirt a little bit and have a little fun, you know, with the guys when we go out on our business trips? Come on. Listen, that is a compromise that we should not be involved in. And what about a church? Well, we'll do this, and we'll have uh, pony parades, and we'll preach out of Mercedes Benz, and we'll do all kinds of things, but mercy, we're not going to preach the Bible because nobody wants to hear the Bible. I mean, listen, Brother Dan, if you just keep preaching the Bible like that, we, we, it's just not going to happen. That's what a pastor told me. He told me one time, looked me square in the eyes, pastor's the largest church in the Southern Baptist Convention. He looked at me and said, do not preach the book of Revelation. It'll kill your church. People don't want to hear all of that stuff. And I said, sir, I just respectfully disagree. We can compromise in a good way, and we can compromise in a bad way. And the church at Pergamos was compromising in two ways. First of all, they were compromising with the doctrine of Balaam. Now, remember John presupposes that you and I have a thorough understanding of what? The Old Testament. He, he believes that you and I have read our Old Testaments, and we know who Balak was, we know who Balaam was, we know what the book of Numbers says in 25, and, and we, we know all of this. Well, if you're anything like me, I, I remember Balak and Balaam, but man, I had to brush up on my Old Testament theology. So let me, let me paint the picture of what's going on with the doctrine of Balaam. Balaam was a prophet for hire. Kings would hire Balaam to go curse a nation. And, and they paid him good money to go curse, pronounce a curse from whatever God you want. I'll choose your God, and I'll go curse that nation. Well, Balak says, I want you, Balak's the king of Moab, I want you to go and curse those heinous people, those Hebrews. Man, they're wearing me out. They're our neighbors north, south, east, to the west, and go and curse them. And so Balaam says, man, for a price, I'll do anything. Man, he, he was the personification of compromise, and that's not lost on the church at Pergamos. They know that. And so he goes in, and he, and he goes to curse Israel, but when he begins to pronounce the curse, he couldn't. Instead, he gave them a blessing. And he goes, man, what is wrong with me? i, I got to try this again. And so he goes, puts a big curse on Israel, and before you know it, he's just blessing them and loving them and encouraging them. And Balaam says, instead of saying, you know what, God's with those people. I need to get with the program. That's not what he did. He compromised, and he went to Balak. He said, hey, Balak, Man, those people got some kind of deity. They got some kind of magnificent God. Every time I go to curse them, I, I, I start blessing them. I can't curse them, but you can. Let me show you how. Hey, Balak, are you listening? They're men just like every other man. And if you go and seduce them with these hot Moabitess women, amen, just send them over there, filtrate them in the, in the camp there, all right? And what you'll do is you can seduce them, and they can sleep with the Moabites, and, and they can co-mingle, you know. And so, try that. And so, he did. He said, while you're at it, why don't you give them a lot to drink and kind of get them a little bit drunk or a lot drunk, and then let them go ahead and offer and eat the food offered to the idols. And the next thing you know, Moab, man, they'll be just like you. And man, we can water them down. We can weaken them at their most vulnerable point in sexual immorality and eating food offered to idols. That's the doctrine of Balaam, and that's exactly what was going on in Pergamon. So, 
Let's read. I'll just read it very quickly. It says in Numbers 25, Now Israel remained in Acacia Grove, and the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. They invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods. And the people ate. They bowed down to their gods. Are you all with me? Do you see that? And so Israel was joined to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. And later on in that same chapter, the Bible says, and God killed 24,000 Israelites. And so John, through Jesus, is telling the pastor of the first church of Pergamum, hey, listen, you've got people in your church that they are committing sexual immorality, and they are also slipping out to the temples, and they're offering uh, idolatry and worship. And Jesus says, listen, Mr. Pastor, this is going on, and you better take care of it. Hey, listen, guys, we may not take those things very seriously, but God does. We may not take a little flirting, a little sexual immorality here and there. We may not take it very seriously, but listen, when you name the name of Jesus, and when you say that you're a member at Great Hills Baptist Church, I take that extremely seriously. And we hold you to a higher standard. No, we're not into legalism. We're into freedom in Christ. But freedom in Christ is never antinomianism in Christ. Antinomianism means I know what the law says. The law doesn't apply to me. I'm free. I'm free at last. Hallelujah. I am free to live just like I want to live. Jesus has forgiven me, and I can go sleep with whoever I want to sleep with. Man, I can go do just what I very well please and do. Man, everything is great because Jesus has forgiven me, and I can go do what I want to do because when I die, I know I'm going to heaven. And if you have that mindset, you are going to split hell wide open. You will because you have been duped. You have had this pseudo-false conversion. You believe that Jesus has come into your heart, and now you can go and live just like you want to live. That is, a, that is a lie straight from the pit of hell. And so God confronts Pergamos. Maybe that's why that pastor told me don't preach Revelation. Because <laughs> you have to deal with this. You, you have to talk about what is the doctrine of Balaam. That's the doctrine of Balaam. And by the way, the doctrine of Nicolaitans is not much better. Remember um, Ephesus? Remember Revelation 2, 6, where Jesus said, I hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans? Remember the, the church at, um, just, just rest you right there, buddy. You'll be all right. Stay right there. Remember we talked about some believe that this was a renegade rogue group of the deacon Nicolai or Nicholas. I think, it's, I think you can look at the etymology of the word. Nike or Nike, that means to conquer. Look at the word. Do y'all have that word up there? Great. Laetans. What does that sound like? Does it sound like laity? The Greek word is laos. And so this Nicolaitan group were conquering the lay people with this insidious doctrine that went like this. Hey, it's okay. Don't get all worked up because if God's forgiven you, you are forgiven and you are free to go and live like you jolly well please. There's no difference. There's no, 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 no. Don't, don't worry about that. Don't worry about mores. Don't worry about laws. Don't worry about old, old Testament harsh God. No, we're into Jesus, man. And Jesus, whoo, man, he forgives us. It don't matter what we do. It's all under the blood. And man, we're just going on to glory. That's the doctrine of Balaam and the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, this antinomianism. And there was a group in Pergamos, and they had it going on. Okay? Now, that's what's going on at the church at Pergamos. And Jesus says, well, guys, I just want you to know 
I see it, I know it, and you're going to have to deal with it. And if you don't, then I'm going to have to come and deal with it. You know, a few weeks ago, we had Michael Tate and the Newsboys here in concert. Man, that was so fun. I, I enjoyed that, that concert. It was, it was so loud. Somebody said, Brother Danny, do you need earplugs? I said, yes, I do. I really do. And I had to put earplugs in because, I mean, it was, it was, it was loud. But I'd pull my earplugs out a little bit, and I'd listen, boy, that sounds good, and I'd put them right back in. And Michael Tate, you know, used to be with DC Talk, with Toby Mac, and now he's the lead singer of Newsboys and by accident, I just ran into him over in the hall here and got a chance to talk with him, pray with him. This guy's the real deal. I mean, he, he lives in a, in a world of entertainment. I know he was just on God's Not Dead movie. He had a, he had a great part at the end there, and he sang. But let me, let me tell you about Michael Tate, what, what's really going on under that exterior of performance and entertainer. Michael Tate loves Jesus. He loves sexual purity. He loves to do the right thing. He said, my walk with Christ, and I quote him, is a pursuit of holiness. A lot of times a person thinks, well, I'm not perfect. He says, no, we're not. We're human. That's a fact, but that's not an excuse. Son, that's good. That's good theology. He said, yeah, that's a fact you're a human. I'm just human, brother. I'm telling you, everybody does it. Amen, brother. I, I just kind of fall off. You know, I just kind of slip into the bed with that woman. over. Oh, mercy, I know I probably shouldn't do that, brother. And I just slip over here and do a little bit of that and that, cheating on my tax. You know what, brother? Everybody does that. I'm just human. You might be human, but you need the Spirit of Christ living in you, pulsating through you to give you the victory, the ability to overcome temptation. Don't Tell me I'm just human, and God is not able. God is able, my friend. He is able to cleanse you and empower you so that you live differently. And, and that's what Tate said. He says, yes, you may say that, but that's a fact. It's not an excuse. Christ was human too, so we need to give our best shot every day. Hey, listen, I want to be more than a survivor. I want to be a conqueror. I don't want to just get by and survive. I don't want to just endure. I want to enjoy. I have been praying to be a conqueror. Conquerors end up victorious. God has been laying on my heart to approach things with the power and the might of God, not to just get through, but to conquer. That's what the lead singer said of the newsboys. So, We've got these two doctrines commingled, going on, operating in the church. And if you want the manuscript, there's a whole lot more here. I just, I got to go. I got to keep going, okay? Number four is the command. So the command, Jesus says, here, here's my remedy for you. I want you to repent. I, I, I want you to change. Change your behavior. Change your ways. You're tolerating these people, and you need to confront these people. And if you don't confront them, it, it's going to infect, it's going to contaminate your whole body, your whole church. And I don't agree with everything John MacArthur says, but he is one of the best Bible expositors I have ever read. And he said this about this church. He said, quote, Era will never be suppressed by compromising with it. Today's non-confrontive church is largely repeating the era of Pergamum. 
on a grand scale, and we face the judgment of our God. End of quote. Can I just get personal for a moment? Some of you are dealing with this. It's not the offering of meat to idols and eating that. It's the other one. It's the sexual immorality. You come hear me every Sunday, and yet you go right back and watch your pornography. You listen to me every Sunday. You go to your Bible life class every Sunday, and you slip out into this little tryst liaison. And I just want you to know something. From the bottom of my heart, I was, with, I was talking to one of my buddies at the gym the other day, and he goes, he said, guess what? I went to church Sunday. I said, man, that's wonderful. And because I've been working on him, and he said, but I didn't go to your church. I said, well, that's okay. You, at, least, at least you went to church. He said, let me ask you a question. I mean, right in front of the gymnasium people. He said, do people like me bother you? What am I going to tell This guy's huge, by the way. And I'm going to look at him and say, yeah, you really bother me, man. Now, I mean, it's, it, he's, a, he's a good buddy of mine. He goes, listen, I'm one of those guys that just goes to church. I'm a CEO Christian. Christmas, Easter only. Okay, that's, that's me. He said, do, do, I, do I bother you? I said, let me tell you something. I'd be thrilled if you came two Sundays a year. The way I look at it, two Sundays a year is better than no Sunday a year. So I'm talking to a lost person, maybe. Shared the gospel with him, been talking to him. But when I'm talking to the church, when I'm talking to you who know Christ, you say you know Christ, you're a part of our fellowship, and you're contaminating yourself, you're compromising your faith, you're compromising your, uh, your ethics, your relationship with your husband or your relationship with your wife and your children and, and your job. I just want you to know, can, can I be that person saying, please stop. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stop and do what Christ said to do. Repent. Say, Lord, forgive me. I, I'm sorry. I turn my life over to you and I want to serve you. Now, if you do that and you overcome, here's the last thing I want to share with you is the word of promise. Ooh, I couldn't wait to tell you this part. There are three promises that Christ said, I will give to the overcomers. First of all, he said, I will give you, what's the first one, anybody? Not just manna, but what's the adjective? Hidden manna. So, again, what does John presuppose? You know the Old Testament. And so you got to dip back into the Old Testament in the book of Exodus, I think it's chapter 16, where God provides manna for the Israelites, and they're running for their lives from the Egyptians, and they're like, Lord, what are we going to eat? What are we going to eat? God says, don't, care, don't worry about that, I'm going to take care of that. And, God, and they show up one morning, they're like, oh, this Krispy Kreme, heavenly manna, all right? And they're like, dude, this is good. This is sweet to my taste buds, and, and it's filling to my stomach. And so the Egyptians are going, man, those guys are going to die out there because their God cannot help them. Nobody can help them. And so in that sense, it was hidden. You with me? It's hidden from the eyes of the world. And Jesus said to the church at Pergamos, you do what is right. The world's not going to understand this, but I'm telling you, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to provide for you in supernatural, providential, sovereign, sustaining ways. I will bless the person who sells out to me. 
who does not capitulate to compromise and give in in the negative pejorative sense of compromise, but someone who loves me, pursues me with passion, and, and, and serves me. Jesus says, I'm going to provide sustenance. You know, watch this. Don't, don't waste your time eating meat offered to idols because I will sustain you. Okay? Number two. Ooh, this is far. He said, I'm going to give you a stone, a rock. Now, what in the world does that mean? Some of you are looking at me like, I don't know, Brother Danny, but you're probably going to tell me what you think it means. Absolutely. But it means this. In, in Pergamum, under the Roman jurisdiction, they had courts, and they had prosecutions and defenses, and they had juries. And the jurors would give an innocent verdict with a, anybody? A white stone. And they would give a guilty verdict with a dark stone, a black stone. And so it's so beautiful tied up in there. Jesus is saying, I will give you a white stone of purity, of exoneration, of justification, of innocence. But you've got to serve me. You've got to walk with me. Also, in Pergamum, they would compete in athletics the winner would get, a, would get a white stone. Sometimes it would be the admission ticket to a theater. And also, that white stone, they would take it, and they would have it engraved. Their name would be engraved on it. The athlete would. He would take that white stone with his name engraved. That would be his admission ticket to the awards banquet of the great celebration from the games. Now, church knew all that stuff. They knew the history. They knew the background. And so when Jesus said, hey, listen, I'll give you the hidden manna. I'll give you the white stone. The church was going, you know what? Ooh, don't, don't, don't miss this. Don't miss this. Listen to this. You know what, Jesus? It, it sure is a whole lot better, and it sure is a whole lot more peaceful if I just do what you want me to do. If I just quit compromising and deal with these guys that are compromising and help bring them back to the faith, Lord, you, you far excel anything this world could offer. The third one is, I'll not only give you manna, hidden manna, and a white stone, but I'll give you a white stone with a name on it that nobody knows. Now, there's only one other time in the Bible this is mentioned, and it's Revelation 19, where Jesus comes again. Son, he's coming again. And when he comes... At the end of those seven years of great tribulation, he descends out of the heavens on a white horse and emblazoned on his robe and on his thigh are these words, King of Kings, somebody help me, and Lord of Lords, and a name emblazoned on his person that nobody knows but him. That's the only other time you'll read this in the Bible, except here in Pergamos. Jesus says, I will honor you and give you a special name, just a prize, just to let you know that I know you, I love you, an intimate moment. Some of you are looking at me like, Brother Dan, you take that figuratively or you take that literally? I'm actually going to go out on a limb here. I'm going to take this literally. I believe God's got some amazing things for us. If we persevere and we're faithful to his name and we enter into eternity, God's got all kinds of goodies, all kinds of good stuff waiting on us. Oh, i got a lot here, but let me just give you this one quote, and then we'll start to wrap it up, sort of. Okay. Whew. Man, it's warm. Whew. Okay. One of my favorite authors, and 
preachers. So I want to read him. So the promises for the overcomers at Pergamum include sustenance with heavenly manna, one. Holiness, remember the exoneration, the white verdict, the innocent. Holiness indicated by acquittal and recognized by a white stone. And number three, this name. A certain intimacy given by the authority of Christ himself to the individual believer. Dr. Patterson, Paige Patterson. David Barlow wrote an article about an NBA basketball player. And I've kept it. It's in the book if you want to get the details on it. And I'm going to date myself a little bit. They called him the Admiral. Does anybody know who I'm talking about? Played for San Antonio? David Robinson. Okay, about my height, you know, seven. <laughs> seven, one, seven, two. Listen, when David Robinson and Tim Duncan were playing together, it was, they were unstoppable. So David Robinson, the Admiral, graduated from the Naval Academy. That's why they called him the Admiral. He, he just stuck out in the NBA world. First of all, he was a very dedicated follower and is a dedicated follower of Jesus. He helped them win an NBA championship. He was a 10-time NBA All-Star. He was the, N- the MVP Defensive Player of the Year. I mean, he, had, he was on the Olympics, I think, three times. He did all kinds of great things in the world of basketball. But Scott Bar- Barlow interviewed people like Sean Elliott, Avery Johnson, and uh, the, who now is the, the owner of the San Antonio Spurs. He's got his name written over here. I can't remember it. So anyhow, they interviewed, he, and he interviewed these guys. He says, hey, guys, really tell me what David Robinson's really like. Like on a road trip? Hey, y'all with me? When y'all are out and these women are just falling at your feet, and y'all are out, you know, you got all the money that you could ever want. You got all the temptation in the world. Hey, tell me, tell me what David Robinson's really like. And Avery Johnson said, I'll be glad to. We go to a restaurant, and this waitress will give us terrible service, and David Robinson will give her the largest tip she's ever received. He goes, really? He goes, oh, yeah. And the owner, oh, it's bothering me. What is your, Peter Holt. Amen, there he is, Peter Holt. He said, let me tell you something, Mr. Barlow. How many David Robinsons are there out there? There just aren't any. Today, when you go watch the NBA playoffs, like, like I do, I know I, I, I like to watch the NBA playoffs. And you, it, it's the language, the lifestyle, it, it's almost, you just don't look at their mouths, you know. Watch one of them when they get called a foul. With foul, I'm going to demonstrate to you. What? What? I didn't foul him. I didn't foul I mean, I've never seen such gyrations and such complaining. I mean, eight-foot grown men. I didn't foul him. I didn't foul him. What is your problem? What is your problem? I'm like, dude, lighten up. Chill, chill out. You're still going to get $10 million. It's, it's okay, you know. <laughs> David Robinson was different. He, was just, he just conducted himself in a manner that was honorable to Christ and to his family. Joe Gibbs, Tuesday morning early, he, he preached down at the Palmer Center. I'm, I'm not kidding. He preached. Three-time Super Bowl winner, owns a NASCAR team. Why would anybody like NASCAR? But anyhow, he, he owns a NASCAR team. Hey, that's a guy that loves golf. That's coming from a guy that watches a little white ball, Wayne Gibbs. I'm here. I'm with you. I got you. Okay. So, um, 
Why am I doing that? I don't know. Uh, Joe Gibbs says, some of you guys today need to give your life to Christ, but some of you need to rededicate your lives to Christ. And let, let, let me finish. I'm almost done. He said, one of the most important decisions I ever made as a man is when I rededicated my life to the Lord. And I came back to Christ, living a way I knew I should not be living. And I knew I was a Christian because I couldn't be happy living like I was living. And when he said that, my mind drifted on me like it normally does. And I thought of another man who said, I was drifting, and I needed to rededicate my life to Jesus. So, in 1964 in Birmingham, Alabama, I rededicated my life to the Lord. Now, that wasn't me because I was born in 1964. You know who said that? Billy William Franklin Billy Graham. Now, if Billy Graham felt led to rededicate his life to Jesus, and the Apostle Paul in Colossians 4 felt led to say, Church, would you pray for me for boldness? I wonder, I wonder what some of us guys need to do today. Especially you men. I don't know what it is about us men, but ladies, please don't say amen real loud, but we need a lot of help, okay? We need a lot of discipline. We need a lot of accountability and mentoring. And guys that I meet with on Thursday morning, I promise you, I'm going to get more out of it than y'all will. I love it. I tell you, one of the highlights of my week is 7 o'clock on Thursday morning, getting with a group of men from Great Hills and having them ask me hard questions, hold me accountable. Oh, you're pastor of that big church. You, you could just get away with anything. No, I can't. Number one, the Holy Spirit. Number two, my wife. And number three, accountability to other men of God. How are you treating your wife? What are you doing with your life? So I wonder today if some of our men have perfected the craft of compromise and you need to come clean and you need to give your life to Jesus. Okay? So I want to invite you to do that. Now, some of you are not going to have the guts to stand up and come forward. You're, just, you're going to chicken out on me. You're going to wimp out on me. You call me a wimp, Brother Danny? I'll come down and squash your five-foot little body in a moment's time. You better be real fast because I can run, all right? I can still run. It's wonderful. At 49 years of age, I can run as fast as a snail, but I can still run. Some of you raw-boned, rugged, individualistic Texans need to get off your blessed assurance and get serious with Christ. And some of you need to come down this aisle and say, I need to get serious with God. And don't, don't worry about people thinking, oh, my word, oh, my goodness, he's one of them. He's one of them that's doing all those things Brother Danny talked about. He's one of them that's slipping around, sleeping around. He's one of them. Oh, my word. I don't, don't worry about that. You, you may not be doing any of that. You just may be feeling yourself prone to do that, and, and you feel yourself led away by the enemy, and you just want to come here and just say, man, i got to nail some things down. If Joe Gibbs needed to do it, Billy Graham needed to do it, Paul needed prayer, come on. Who am I that I don't need it, that I don't need somebody to pray for me and encourage me? Last thing I want to say, I told you I was jacked up, fired up about this sermon. Last thing I want to say is this. If you don't and you continue on the path that you're going, you're going to destroy yourself, you're going to destroy your marriage, and you're going to hurt our church. Okay? So come on. Let's get serious with the Lord today. Father, we love you. We need you. None of us, Lord, has arrived. So many of us, God, in our own little tantalizing ways, we have perfected the craft of compromise and justification. 
And God, I pray today that we'd just be clean, Lord. We would come clean with you. And for some of us men, Lord, that's what we need to do. We just need to say, God, I'm sorry. And Lord, I'm, I want to renew my relationship with you. Some of us that are here today, Lord, they, they genuinely need you. They need to enter into a relationship with you. They do the things they do because they are who they are, and they can't change it. A leopard cannot change his spots. A sinner cannot cleanse himself. But hallelujah, we know a man who can. We know Jesus Christ, who can take the most vile offender and wash him clean with the blood that was shed at Calvary. And can, I mean, dip him down and cleanse him. May a, a mighty catharsis overflow you today. Don't you want that? Don't you sense that you need that? That you need to be clean in your thought life, in your sex life, in your business life, in every dimension of your life, you, you need a cleansing. And again, I point you to Christ. He loves you. He desires to have a relationship with you. So I want to call you out today. Maybe for the first time, lady, you would want to come forward and say, I'm giving my life to Christ. Or I'm, I'm coming today to rededicate my life to the Lord. I'm coming today. I want to be a part of Great Hills Baptist Church. Man, this church is going places. God's doing stuff here. People's lives are being forever altered for eternity. And I want to get in, and I want to be a part of what God is doing. And you come. And our pastors, man, I hope you all already here. I got my eyes closed. I can't see. But pastors, I want you all here. And deacons, hey, you, if you're, are you a deacon at Great Hills Baptist Church? Would you raise your hand for just a moment? Would you raise your hand up high? Can I see your hand with my eyes closed? Would, would you raise your hand up high? Hey, can, can I ask you guys... You men of God, would y'all come and kind of lead the way in a moment? When I say amen, you say, well, Brother Danny, I'm, I'm the guy that needs to rededicate my life. Well, that's okay. We'll, we can do that too. But I thought of just some of our, our deacons, our men, would just stand up in a moment, come to this altar, just pray, and help me pray with other guys, pray with one another. That would be awesome. And by the way, we're about to have the invitation, all right? And I'm so excited. I believe God's going to do amazing things. On a typical Sunday about this time, about 50 to 100 of you begin to leave, all right? And I just want you to know, this, this is a place of grace. If you feel the peace of God and you have no conviction whatsoever and you need to leave, then you feel free to leave. But the rest of us, we're going, we're going to stay here. We're going to praise the Lord. We're going to do business with God. Who knows, guys? Somebody's marriage is about to be saved. Somebody's life is about to be altered for eternity. Oh, Jesus, would you move? All is vain unless you, the Holy Spirit of God, come down. I beg of you to come down in power, oh God. Convict hearts, Lord, draw them back to you. Oh, God, I pray marriages would be rescued. Lord, lives would be changed. And I pray, God, addictions and bondages, God, are broken in the name of Jesus through the blood of Christ. And the lives will be restored. I pray for teenagers, God, that are Lord, they're just walking away. Lord, I pray they'd walk back to you, God. Even though they're the only David Robinson on their campus, Lord, they would say, I'll do it. I'll stand. I'll stand for Christ. God, would you enable us? Would you empower us? Would you bless our men even now as we come, as we pray? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you. Stand to your feet. Come on, men of God. Those of you that need to come and pray, you come too. Brother Terry, you lead us. God bless you as you come.